is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. And today we're going to be talking about things going on in the world and how Catholic Relief Services is helping. We're talking with Megan Gilbert, who is Communications Officer for CRS in Europe, the Middle East, and Central Asia. She connects journalists with newsworthy stories from CRS's programs in the region. She also hosts CRS's Facebook Live events, which feature the work of CRS around the world. Megan has more than 20 years of experience working in journalism and media. Her career began began in Montana, where she was a general assignment reporter and news anchor. She's worked in Arkansas and Baltimore, covering political, consumer, and human interest stories. She was awarded a Capital Region Emmy for her feature reporting in Baltimore. She came to CRS in 2016 from Towson University, where she taught journalism and writing for the media. Welcome to the show, Megan. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, it's it's not really a fun occasion, though, because today you and I are talking uh, it is the six month anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. This show is going to air about a week and a half later. But that's to give people the mindset of where we're talking right now, six months into the war in Ukraine. And I know that CRS has been on the ground, uh, really trying to do a lot there, not always working inside Ukraine. You're working in other places. You've returned recently from Moldova, I understand. And what was going on there? What is CRS doing to help the people in Ukraine? And uh, why is that being based outside the country? Well, we do work both inside Ukraine and in uh, other countries. We work with um, our partners inside Ukraine, and we also work with our partners in uh, other countries as well. But the reason we're working in those other countries is that millions of refugees have gone to those countries. And so we want to make sure that they're getting the support they need where they are. So as you mentioned, I just returned from Moldova, and that is on the border with Ukraine, kind of like the southwest border uh, of Ukraine. And initially, hundreds of thousands of people uh, left Ukraine, went to Moldova. A lot of those people stayed maybe for only a few days or a week and then moved on to other countries in Europe. And right now, there's roughly about 80,000 refugees uh, who have uh, remained there. So some of the things that we're doing in Moldova, and this is common in in the other countries that we're working, is that we work to uh, help people find um, safe, dignified homes uh, to stay with their families. We provide cash for people so they can buy uh, what they need. We also give people uh, vouchers. Um, so in between those cash payments um, for, for those other types of things, we all know how all those things come up, especially if you have children that, that you need to provide uh, for them. So we want to make sure that there are no gaps uh, for people. But we also provide uh, counseling support. As you can imagine, it's an incredibly stressful experience, continues to be incredibly uh, stressful. And just people need help dealing with with that. And so those are some of the things um, that we are doing in Moldova as well as other countries. 
Do we have any uh, recent numbers on the number of displaced people in Ukraine? I know that there were about the last time I saw it, it was about half of them were internally displaced. So they were not where they normally lived in Ukraine, but they were somewhere else in Ukraine. And about half of them had gone on to other countries, just simply escaping Ukraine altogether. Do we have any idea what the scope of that is these days? We do. I think it's about seven or eight million that are displaced uh, within uh, Ukraine. I, you know, I try to keep up with those numbers. And it's phenomenal. Yeah, it, it's especially when you compare it to other crises. I think that's what just made my jaw drop. Even the beginning of the crisis, We're trying to compare it to Syria, which I, I think is one of those things that people think of as as large refugee crises, although it's it's just one of several, really. Yes. You know, and it took years to get to the level that Ukraine crisis reached in like a matter of, of weeks. So, but you know, granted it's a bigger country, there are more people, there are other, you know, some obvious reasons for some of that, but the ma- massive numbers, which is what we were concerned about before the war started, that there would be this massive number of displacement and that uh, played out. I think it's a little challenging or the numbers change frequently because there's people will go back to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I think roughly about 5 million people who left originally went back. Uh, but there is a lot of cross-border. So they'll go back to Ukraine, and, and but then they might leave Ukraine again. Um, but some people are going back to Ukraine and staying in Ukraine, which is also one of the reasons, because of the displaced, um, that we're, we're still making sure that we're, we're doing work in Ukraine as well. Mm-hmm. You, you talked before about the fact that uh, you give people cash to kind of buy what they need. And I recall I traveled in Haiti with the folks from Catholic Relief Services there uh, many years ago. And uh, one of the things they said was, you know, there, a lot of times a crisis comes and people say, well, I, I'm going to send rice to, to Haiti. I'm going to send it. And they're like, no, send, send us cash. We can buy the rice here, which employs people here. It's less shipping costs. It's all of that. So a lot of times people are like, oh, I don't want to just give money because I'd rather give, you know, this. That's like, but for your purposes, giving the cash really help, helps a lot, doesn't it? It really does. And and I appreciate what people want to do, want to help. And, and I've, I still get requests from people who are saying, I have some diapers that I want to send to Ukraine, or, I, or I've collected some supplies. And... I, you know, I'm, I'm humbled by the generosity of people, but it is like the cost to send all of those supplies, you know, outweighs buying them in those areas. Because it's not really that the, the supplies aren't there. They are there. It's about people getting access to them. And as you, you mentioned, one of the really key points of that is that when people are able to buy local, it supports local communities, especially in a country like Moldova that, you um, you know, doesn't have the economic advantages as some other countries in Europe have. I mean, that's really meaningful that you can support local businesses. And we all know the, how important that is. We all love to support local businesses. And so that's one of the things that cash allows us to do. And I really want to make that point that your cash makes a tremendous difference in people's lives. CRS really kind of works on a couple of different levels. There's there's that immediate need, that immediate uh, serving the immediate need. You know, people are in crisis; they need to find a place to live. You know, they need to find shelter, uh, safe shelter. Let's let's be clear about that. Um, and then there's kind of the CRS really kind of goes at the root of the problem. Uh, I know that that over the years, you know, you've worked on um, you know fighting desertification in parts of Africa or South uh, South America. You know, trying to to fight off those kinds of Things. And, and I want to talk some more about some of the climate things that you're doing uh, in the second part of the show. But when you start talking about what you're doing with folks in Moldova, in Ukraine, 
education is a big part of that, isn't it? it? It's a huge part of that. And, you know, one of the things that's really important, I talked about, you know, the counseling support, especially with children, you want them to have as much of a routine as possible. And school is a major part of that routine. We don't want school uh, to be interrupted for children for a number of reasons that emotional, social support that they need. But also, you know, we want to make sure that future generations are prepared. Uh, so education is hugely important. And that was one of the things when I, when I visited Moldova, I was asking uh, moms, you know, what are your plans uh, for school? And I was talking to, to one mother with three young children ranging from like ages six to 11. She said, well, I wanted to send them to Moldovan schools, uh, but I'm, I'm missing some of the paperwork. I, I think she meant maybe like transcripts or mm -hmm. um, vaccination records, things like that, which she obviously doesn't have. That's not something that she, she was able to bring with her. So she said, what my, my children will end up doing is they will attend school virtually. So they will have a Ukrainian teacher and they will attend school virtually, which is not her, was not her first choice. I don't think it's, it's not the first choice for any, well, maybe very few parents um, anyway. Uh, but obviously she wants them to be in school. But then you think, okay, so they need the computer. They need access you know, to, to the internet, good solid access to the internet. And especially with the younger kids, they need some kind of supervision while, while they're, they're taking these classes because a lot of the moms are going to work. Uh, and so that was one of the things that one of our Caritas uh, partners is, is working on is making sure that people do have access to the computers and things like that. And, and a proctor so that um, there's school is available and safe for children to go to. But we also look at education too as well, like during the summer. And one of the things that I was able to visit was uh, they had summer activities. They're calling summer camps uh, for children and visited the Sunflower Center in Moldova, which was providing activities for children, but also a mom's group. So the kids were occupied doing lots of fun things while the moms were able to get together, talk. Um, and I, I really noticed what was just an overwhelming theme of the week is, is the need for connection mm -hmm. uh, with other people. The family separation is what always breaks my heart about any refugee crisis. Uh, and, and so it, it's providing those, those types of things. It's, you know, none of them are, are really separate. We really do take this holistic approach and try to look at everything, the physical, the emotional, the social needs of, of people. And that's what we're doing with our education programming. Mm -hmm. uh, we have just a little bit of time before the break, but uh, this war is not ending soon. How are these people going to handle the winter? That is a huge concern of ours, especially in Ukraine, that uh, people are going back to homes that are damaged, right. that are war damaged. Right. Uh, winters in Ukraine are brutal. They're extremely cold. And you're not going to, I mean, we're concerned about it's life threatening. Uh, you know, if you're living in a home where the windows are damaged. Or there's no wall. <laughs> or there's no wall, even more, you know, that, that we, we really need to make sure that people. So we are working on making. Um, not major repairs. I think time, time-wise, there's just not enough time to make those kinds of repairs before the winter starts. So, in people whose homes where we can, in the time frame that we have, you know, make those repairs. That is what we are working on doing. We're, uh, our Caritas partners working on uh, doing some assessments right now, hiring contractors, so that those repairs can be made. But when I was talking to our our country representative who manages Ukraine, he said. Yeah, he was very concerned about it. 
people surviving the winter. Not to mention how, how much uh, prices have gone up. This is in Moldova, Ukraine, and, and so many other places is that fuel is more expensive, heating homes is more expensive. So uh, we have to, to figure out ways to make sure that, that people have what they, they need and to, to be able to, to survive the winter. Well, thank you. That I, We appreciate all that you're doing there. We are talking today with Megan Gilbert. She is a communications officer for Catholic Relief Services, which is the U.S. Bishop's Overseas Aid Umbrella Group, I guess is what you would call it. And uh, we're going to talk some more with Megan about the work of CRS after the break. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Archbishop William E. Lurie and Baltimore Superintendent of Catholic Schools, Dr. Donna Hargens, welcome nearly 1,200 Catholic educators, administrators, and staff from around the Archdiocese of Baltimore to the Church of Nativity in Timonium, August 25th, for a day of prayer, reflection, and fellowship as a new school year dawns. They gathered for the Catholic School's annual convocation event, which included Mass, opening remarks by Hargens, and inspirational talks and music. Awards presentations for some of the region's top educators and milestone celebrations were also part of the event, held for the first time since 2019 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Recently retired Chancellor of Education James Selinger, who was presented the Doris Musel Award for his dedication to Catholic schools, emphasized the need for teamwork among teachers, administrators, and staff. High School Teacher of the Year Anna O'Day, a theology instructor at St. Mary's High School in Annapolis, talked about the joy of teaching in Catholic schools, saying educators were free to share the good news of the gospel with their students. In addition to O'Day, Calvert Hall's Kevin Ford was honored as the Independent Schools Teacher of the Year, and St. Joseph Fullerton's Kristen Urbanski was honored as the Elementary School Teacher of the Year. The three were selected for the top awards from 40 others recognized as Teachers of the Year in their respective schools. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. St. Ambrose Parish in West Baltimore hosted a community festival August 27th and 28th that was highlighted by the return of Mass on the Grass. More than 300 people attended the Mass Sunday under a packed tent, and festivities continued afterwards with games, food, and music. The event featured informational sessions with Park West Clinic. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. For Catholic Review Media, I'm Kevin Parks. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. We are talking today with Megan Gilbert, who is a communications officer for Catholic Relief Services in Europe, the Middle East, and Central Asia. We talked before the break about what's going on in uh, in Ukraine especially, but CRS does so much work in so many other parts of the world. Um, and I think one of the things that I remember 
years ago when I was working in uh, in Arizona, we partnered with CRS to do some things to fight the ever-expanding desert in Chad. I mean, it was just to, to give you some idea. And that was probably 30 years ago. So CRS has been involved in these kind of projects for a long time. You're going to be doing some things in uh, starting in October to address climate change. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, on October 4th, we are launching a climate change uh, campaign. Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. I assume you chose the date specifically for that, (laughs) right? I I was not involved in choosing the date, but I am sure that was part of the process of uh, thinking about appropriate dates to to launch uh, events uh, like this one. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, as you mentioned, you know, climate change is such a major impact. Uh, on the people that we work with around the world. So as part of this campaign, we just wanna make sure that that people are aware and understand, but we're also looking for people to get involved. You know, there are things that all of us can do, whether that's advocating for policies, uh, just learning about it and understanding the impact that climate change is is having on, on communities. And you mentioned, you know, dry, riverbeds, but it's, you know, about changing weather patterns that are really impacting people. And it's just coming to a point, I think, when you look around at what's happening in the world, that people are really, really, it's a a tipping point. It's a breaking point for some people about how they are going to manage what is happening uh, around the world. I mean, take a look at Afghanistan, um, where they're talking about, you know, the end of the year, 97% of the people will be below the poverty line and and they have been dealing with droughts every two years for the last you know 14 years and people just can't recover from things like that right right haiti is in a bad spot in the caribbean they get hit by earthquakes they get hit by hurricanes tropical storms you know it's the same kind of thing 98 percent poverty in in there and and they're in the western hemisphere here with us why does it seem that climate change really seems to have a, a heavier impact on lower income people or less developed countries? You know, I think a lot of it has to just do with the amount of agriculture work. You know, you look at some of these countries where, you know, 80% of the people work in, you know, agricultural livelihoods. I think that's true in Madagascar. It's roughly um, around that percent. So it's going to impact them more, that, sure. that changing weather. That makes sense. So, so yeah, so it's the pouring, you know, it's it's the monsoons, it's all of that, and it's also the dry spell. But I think it's just so much is is tied to agriculture. And a lot of those countries are also reliant on, you know, imports and things like that. But I do think the agriculture aspect is is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. When you look at it from a the CRS perspective, again, you know, CRS is the the global aid program of the U.S. bishops. There's a lot of hungry people all around the world. How can we help them all? I mean, and and so many things affect that poverty, but how can we help them all? You know, I get worried about that, that, that sometimes it feels so overwhelming to people that it feels like, you know, it, it's hopeless. Like, how can we possibly do that? But we are a Catholic organization. And so we will always have hope. And, you know, the mission of CRS is to uphold the dignity of others and, and to work to solve these these problems. But you know what? I mean, we can do things. And sometimes they are not complicated things. When you're talking about, you know, looking at the land, and you know, there are some simple things about, you know, just the quality of seed of, you know, how do we manage water better? You know, we know how to fix some of these problems. It's not like we're tossing up our hands and thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
So these are, you know, fixable problems right. in, in, in a right. lot we know of ways. We so know how to drill wells. We know how to do those kinds right, of things and help right, people with right, that. Right. So, you know, I, I hope people get that message is that this is not a hopeless situation and it's not us like wondering what we're going to do. And I, I don't see as, you know, giving up is not an option. No. You know, when there are yeah. arguably a billion lives at risk, you know, we have we have to do this. And it does help, you know, those things we are making you know, we have made progress, you know, we've lost some of that progress because of COVID and things like that. But, you know, we can work and, and there, there really isn't any other option is that people do need our support. And we're going to continue to, do, to, to provide that support. And Catholics in the US have always been incredibly generous, and have always supported us as we've done this work. Mm -hmm. We've talked a little bit about a couple of uh, factors that really tend to address, you know, poverty issues that CRS uh, deals with throughout the world. We've talked about conflict, uh, especially in in uh, Syria. We, you talked about it with in Ukraine. We talked, you mentioned it in Afghanistan. So conflict is a huge issue. Climate is a huge issue that addresses that. How has COVID affected poverty around the world? And how has how is CRS responding to that? COVID has certainly um, impacted employment and livelihoods. You think of those large shutdowns that we had, you know, for, for months um, at, at a time in certain countries. So that has impacted, I think it's the, um, just the fi financial, I think is a, is a huge impact of, of COVID-19 health is also um, an impact of COVID-19. So what we've done is, is it's a lot of our other programming is that, you know, we work with people to improve livelihoods, and those are types of the things it's really been worked into a lot of the programming that we already have to help people, you know, make those adaptations to some of the impacts um, of uh, COVID-19. And so those are some of the things that we're doing, but it has had, um, it, it's just like that multiplier effect. It's just added on to things that were already happening. Yeah. Yeah. Are there areas where CRS goes into work, gets, you know, works on the ground with the people who live there, uh, and fixes things to a point where you say, you know what, you don't need us anymore, and CRS can go move on to somewhere else. Or are there places, or is it just once you get in, you're you're in all the time? Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, but certainly that is the goal. Is, sure. is that yeah. you know the sustainability is that resilience in communities is, is what we are working towards, and that's always it, and it's always in partnership with with people to make sure that. You know, this isn't just us doing work, staying there forever. And but we do tend to stay. You know, we have been in, um, you know, some countries for 50, 60 years. And I think it's just a, a nature, you know, the nature of our, our changing world and the things um, that happen. But, you know, sustainability and resilience is super important to, to the work that we do. And, and that is the goal of our work is to make sure that people have livelihoods that, that they can, that can you know, go beyond, you know, if we, if we do um, end up leaving uh, to place, you know, in some places. Mm -hmm. And I know that one of the things that CRS tries to do as much as possible is to employ natives of the country where you are to, you know, as part of the team and all of that. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I, I traveled with CRS in Haiti and I would say probably, you know, 99% of the staff were Haitians, you know, so I mean, there were very few folks who came from, from elsewhere to do that. And I think that's admirable. We couldn't do our work without them. Oh, of course. But, you know, they're so, they're so important to, right. to our, our work. We really, they're, 
absolutely critical and crucial. Mm -hmm. So how can people support Catholic Relief Services and all the work you do? Well, you can certainly donate. Uh, you can go to crs.org and there are a, a few different ways that you can uh, donate. And if you want to donate to a specific cause, there are some options for our, the hunger crisis that is happening um, around the world uh, to Ukraine, if that's um, of interest to you. But we also uh, would love for people to, to advocate, advocate for um, you know climate change uh, issues. And there are also resources that you can find on our website if you want to call your congressman. You know, we have sample letters and things like that that, that you, you can do. And I, I think, too, you know, just having these kinds of conversations and understanding what is happening uh, around the world. Because, you know, we know once people lose attention on an issue, it tends to just get ignored and, and not get the resources that they need. So all of those things that are, are people you know, or what people can do uh, to, to help solve these problems. And I like that if you go onto the CRS site, you can, you know, you can either, you know, kind of give just blanket here, where use it wherever you want, or you can be very specific about it. So I know that, uh, you know, we, we've given gifts sometimes that is, you know, we'll sponsor a, a, a well at some place, or we'll sponsor a, a you know, a, buying a, a, a kit for a, a family to start a home garden or those kinds of things. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can get that granule if you want it to on the site. And, and that I think is a really thing because that helps connect people to the work that you're doing. Yeah. They make nice Christmas gifts. We're a little early for Christmas. They, they do make. It absolutely does. Good. Well, again, that, that uh, web address is crs.org. Uh, for Catholic Relief Services. We have been talking today with Megan Gilbert, who is Communications Officer for CRS in Europe, the Middle East, and Central Asia. Thank you so much for being with us today, Megan. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love. <laughs>